All right. Hi. Here we are again. The sun is out today. Yeah, it's yeah, it's been very rainy, but not today. No, it's going to rain again though. Well. Mm. <laughs> the the circle of life and weather. Yes. Watching the process beginning to end. Talking shop with your musical friends. Austin and Min. Austin and Min. Write a musical. Welcome back. The water cycle is is the term I was trying to come up with. <laughs> All I could come up with the circle was the circle. I was of life. wondering, and I was yeah. going to make some weird like. We weren't talking about Lion King. It's another. Um, I forget what I was going to say. <laughs> well, this episode is off to a really a great, great start. start. Um, um, we have an email. Oh, let's yeah. start with that. So this email comes from a friend of ours. Oh, I shouldn't have led with that. <laughs> <laughs> I should have just said this. Is, although, you know, it's going to be pretty obvious once I read the email. But a friend of ours who used to live in the Bay Area and now lives in New York City. <gasps> New York City? <laughs> That's the Pace Picani Sauce commercial. I don't know. I just dated myself. Um, This is from Kristen. She says, Hi, Austin and Min. Just wanted to send a note saying how much I love Amwam. That's right. I did. That's right. During... During this first homesick year, living in New York, it has been great... New York City? (laughs) We're never going to get through this email. During this first homesick year living in New York, it has been great to have the voices of my friends accompanying me on the subway in the mornings. Thanks for giving me... Sorry. I'm just imagining. So she's had our voices in her head for seven days. (laughs) So unless she listens on repeat, like over and over again. Oh, yeah. Well, that's what I assume everybody does. And maybe her subway ride isn't just one episode in length. So Min, just read the email. She says, thanks for giving me a little dose of home with every episode. Heart, heart. Oh, that's really oh, nice. Well, thanks and Kristen for... was in your show, Yeah, right? it was a Good Night, Good Night construction site. Yeah. The musical. That's right. So, yeah. I love yeah, Kristen. Thanks for writing us, Kristen. And we wish you all the best and all the love yeah. in NYC. Mm-hmm. New York City. <laughs> um, yeah, well, that was very sweet. Yeah, that was. We love getting emails, so email us at austinandmin at gmail.com. That's right. Um, what uh, what media or, or stories have you been engaging with? I finished a game. Uh, I was playing it on Xbox. It's on Game Pass and we have Xbox Game Pass. Um, wow. A game Must called- be nice. <laughs> it's pretty sweet. <laughs> uh, it's called Rhyme, R-I-M-E. Okay. Have you heard of it? Nope. Uh, it's- I've, I've played Reason. <laughs> Is that before? Are you being real? No. no. Okay. <laughs> I was like, there's a real game called Reason. Um, rhyme, and you play as this boy running around it, it has like mist vibes i don't know if you remember mist uh-huh. oh yeah but basically but it's not first person it's, <laughs> mist, mist occupies the space of my life of games that i spent an enormous amount of time with as a child uh-huh. and like never got past the first level uh, i mean i have the similar uh, mist i never got past and riven the sequel i always just cheated and looked stuff up because yeah. I couldn't figure it out on my own. But once I saw the answers, I thought it was an amazing game, and I wished I hadn't cheated. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, Mist was... 
I think I was just too young, but it was like a game. It was super popular, or it came free with something. I don't know. It what, was super but popular. Like, I think it was one of the first 3D adventure games that like was as intricate as yeah, as that. But everybody had it, so like yeah. I would go over to people's houses and <laughs> we would like want to play a game, and it's like, oh, let's play Mist, and we would sit there and try to play Mist, yeah, and not know anything about what we were supposed to do, right. <laughs> <laughs> it just looked cool. Yeah. Uh, so Rhyme has those vibes. It's not exactly the same. It's third person, and the puzzles are maybe less intricate as missed or as involved. Um, but, and there were times in the middle where I was debating whether I wanted to keep playing or is it, you know, it just wasn't, uh, it wasn't grabbing me at certain points. But I stuck with it, and I'm glad I did because the ending wrecked me oh. emotionally. <laughs> I'm not going to spoil what happens, but I remember I came home after a rehearsal for Gold, and I was like, I think I can fit. I think I have time to finish. It feels like Mm -hmm. I'm close to the end, and I was just a mess. Wow. To the point where I had to watch YouTubers who had finished the game so I could feel like they, that there were other people (laughs) in the world who understood the sadness and the the move, the why I was feeling so moved by the game. How early in the gameplay experience did you feel connected to the characters like was this when tragedy or whatever happens happened were you like oh my god i'm really feeling something or were you like i really like like i guess did it catch you by surprise how i you definitely caught me by surprise um and I will say, after, after I thought about it, it's just the conceit of a boy being alone mm. in this, on these islands, essentially, mm-hmm. that just draws you in in that way. And then he befriends this little fox character, and there's, like, cuteness, and he befriends this little robot character. Not little, a big robot character. So, like, you feel like there's, you know, you just kind of feel for this boy who yeah. is essentially wandering alone. Um, but, and I'm not spoiling much by sharing all that because I still think how they get you is like, what? Yeah, it was a nice, it was nice. And I'm glad that other YouTubers had that same response. Other YouTubers, like I'm a YouTuber, but that YouTubers had that same response because it was like, okay, I'm not crazy (laughs) for, for just like losing it at the end. But I, it was very fulfilling and, 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 uh, thinking about when the kind of shift happens, yeah, it, it surprised me, but after I thought through it, it's like, oh, that was very smartly placed. Mm-hmm. I will say there were still parts of the game that I thought were rough for me as far as like interest sure. to keep playing it, but I'm glad I stuck with it, and I didn't even know that the ending was going to be like that, so that's that was another surprise, but... Yeah, I I recommend it if you like those kinds of explorational puzzle adventure mm-hmm. games. Yeah. I think they have it for PC and a lot of other systems as well. Cool. Yeah, what about you? Um, I have sort of binged two Netflix shows, The Umbrella Academy and uh, Russian Doll. Is Umbrella Academy a show? It's a comic turned into, turned into a show. Oh, it's an episodic show? I thought it was a movie. Oh, no, it's an episodic oh. show. Um, <laughs> uh-huh. And I will say I think Russian Doll is, like, as perfect as anything could be. It's great. I watched yeah. it as well, yeah. Um, and I did not care for Umbrella Academy. 
Yeah, I've been I've heard that from a few people now. Yeah, it um I think it started really I I when it started I was like this is weird and quirky and fun and very it had a to my eye a sort of very clear sense of style like there's a mm-hmm. a moment in episode 1 or 2 where all the cast is like dancing by themselves in this mm. building and that's it's so charming and it's like if this is what the show is this is great but that's not what the show is like mm. shortly <laughs> shortly after that the show gets a lot less interesting it kind of becomes standard yeah. comic strip adaptation yeah fair. and it does a lot of like plotting stuff that i that really bugs me at these at this point like mm. a character develops powers and they're too powerful, which is already a trope in itself, yeah. like, that you have to contain the person who's too powerful. But then, like... Elsa? Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> or um, the Dark Phoenix side oh, yes, of X-Men yes. or, like, any uh, any of these things. Um, but, like, but so, like, she comes, or they come back and are like, I, I'm sad, I didn't mean to do any of the things that I did. And then the characters rather than forgive them or discuss it with them they like lock her in this room which i guess maybe is intellectually honest for their mindset maybe but like <laughs> it's not very interesting cuz one the audience knows that she can get out of the room uh, and uh-huh. she does immediately uh-huh. Um, and we know that, like, that's going to make her upset. It's just, like, so contrived. Like, nobody's yeah. behaving. Everybody's just behaving. Because the plot needs them to do that. Yeah. yeah. But, then it, but like, why does the plot need them to do that? Right, it's Netflix. Right. Like, it, it, the show feels like they're killing time. Like, that they are oh, filling no. space. And I don't know why. Like, it's on Netflix. You can make the episodes whatever length you right, want to make them. Right. You can make the season whatever length you want to make it. You can huh. you can have people do whatever you want. It's not it's not regular TV. <laughs> um, but what of Russian Doll did you enjoy? Like well, what so, specifically? Yeah. Well, so yeah. on the flip side, like Russian Doll, I think everybody behaves so uh, smartly. Like they are like every single person on the show is a real person. Yeah. Even though it's this really fantastical situation uh-huh. and it's like magical realism thing. The logic of everything works really well. Like they don't violate their own logics, even though there there are things about it that are like sort of unexplained and like yeah, yeah. just sort of magical. But like, um, but they let you know when that's the case, rather than yeah, it feeling like an open ended yep or a dangling thread rather. Yeah, yeah. No, I think it's super tight. It feels like a singular vision. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, yeah. I, really I like enjoyed Russian it a lot too. Yeah. And it's about death, which is, you know, the best subject. <laughs> there's, well, and it's a lot, a, there's been a few things now where TV feels like it's gotten existential. Yeah. Like Russian Doll gave me good place vibes, only mm-hmm. in that it actually deals with like morality and, mm-hmm. you know, is this happening because X and did we cause this? You know, they're asking questions like that, and I think Good Place grapples with that very uh, overtly, because one of their characters in The Good Place is a moral philosopher. And I think, I forget which one, I think there was another show, but I don't know. I kind of appreciate that, that people are, in these in these comedic forms, yeah, are kind of throwing in, 
you know, real philosophers might be like, ugh, that's just armchair, armchair philosophy, but whatever. But, you know, that we're going these places rather than, I'm a dopey husband and my wife just can't stand me anymore. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know. Yeah, no, I mean, I think, like, mainstream, like, pop culture stuff has finally, like, sort of caught up with, I guess, like, 1940s intellectualism. Hmm. Um, like, I don't actually... I'm sort of speaking out of my ass right now. <laughs> I was like, I don't know what that... Well, was. just like, um, I mean, existentialism is not new. No. Um, but yeah, like, okay. comes, out of, comes out of the world wars. Um, right. Like, God is dead. Things are... Like, life is not... Yeah, yeah. It's not inherently meaningful, but like, what is meaningful is that we connect with each other. I hear what you And you're like, saying. that's yeah. not what Leave it to Beaver is about. No. I mean, but, the 50s, let alone what the era, that decade was all about like, post-war let's make sure everything's back in order but tv was so novel that it mm -hmm. was like let's just make people laugh let's, yeah you know and we want to make everything nice 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 and clean right i mean there were like you know those horror story shows and like twilight zone came out eventually you know there were yeah, still yeah. shows that did something different but um yeah i don't know yeah, no, I'm, I, I'm not I'm not educated enough to speak to that. Yeah, well, and I don't want to paint everything with a broad brush, but it does. I just it does. I agree with you that existentialism and yeah. this kind of murky morality plays type stuff are um, real hot right now. Yeah. Speaking of existential, you know, topics. Yeah. Um, I don't think that's the right segue, but... I was excited to see what you were going to do with it. <laughs> uh, I mean, our show that we're wanting to work on with, you know, why we have this podcast uh, is kind of in an existential limbo <laughs> in that we're not finding time to work on it. But um, I thought it might be interesting to kind of, kind of um, talk through uh, what could be some next steps for the show, uh, some more concrete... Mm -hmm. things especially in the way of development opportunities that might be out there and maybe that could be something helpful for people who are listening who are writing shows just to get an idea of you know we've talked about how we've gotten our shows developed at bay area children's theater in specific and we can uh, review that again um but what else is out there how do people get shows made and yeah yeah well so i think you actually you i mean i know that you know more about this than i do because um, you have had shows produced outside of Bay Area Children's Theater, um, which I guess I technically have, but um, I have never like sort of gone out and shopped something to somebody. I've yeah. always been asked to do things. Yeah, um, and I'm. Um, I feel like I'm still on the cusp of you know really uh, figuring a lot of this out. Because uh, mm -hmm. uh, one of my personal goals is to be more present in the regional theater circles. Yeah. Um, and I feel like I'm getting there. And I got there as far as uh, having a local production at TheaterWorks here. And now I'm facing a lot of... I, I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm splitting my time between writing and applying for things. Yeah. So I definitely am looking at a lot of different opportunities out there. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, to start, just to recap really quickly... What we do know, what you and I share in common, is we've had this great uh, working relationship with Bay Area Children's Theater. And, you know, uh, I met with somebody recently who was kind of asking 
what how how do you make that happen yeah and i mean <laughs> well so uh for for BACT specifically um i knew nina through a drama camp where like that she taught at when i was a kid um and then i worked at that drama camp and when she started the company uh, she asked if I had time to come and check people in on the weekends, so I started doing that, and then I was just around a lot and looking at the shows and was like, I I could write, I, yeah. I could write for this company. Um, and just sort of being present and doing that and then jumping at an opportunity when it arose. Like, right. um, I, like the first show I wrote, we needed a short run of something in a small theater for like, Three weeks, I think, mm-hmm. and I wrote like a sketch comedy holiday show for kids, which I brought up in the first season. Oh of yeah, Wham. Rudolph the Ugly Duckling, yeah. another cracked up holiday tales. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, and that went well. Um, and then from there, there was like an opportunity to do a school tour, like an educational musical about the Gold Rush. Mm. So I was like, I could do that. So me and and I co-wrote that with my friend Max. Um, and then from there, just sort of like, I don't know, in a way, I mean, proving that I could do it and then, um, just sort of working my way up and gradually taking larger and larger projects with that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I have a similar path. I started at BACT as a pianist for a production of the, of Aaron and Flaherty's The Emperor's New Clothes, which is actually a really fun show. Um, but they needed a live pianist for that, so that's how I started. And then I started teaching classes. Mm-hmm. And then they wanted to... It's funny, we have San Ramon in common, because that Rudolph show was for San oh, Ramon. Yeah. Yeah. And then in San Ramon, they wanted to expand their... This was when they only had elementary school kids. And then they finally wanted to open it up to middle school. And they asked if I would teach a class of middle schoolers but instead of doing a like a licensed MT musical theater international show like a lot of their classes are, um, what if I strung together musical theater songs in a cabaret and then I wrote a script for that? Mm-hmm. So those were technically my first like professional world premieres were those two cabarets that I did out in San Ramon, and then I think that led to discussions around uh, writing a full length TYA show. Um, but th- this is also hard uh, advice because I think we didn't necessarily start working at Bay yeah. Rachel's Theater with this in mind. And so for like playwrights now, it is kind of weird to say, you just need to go be part of a theater company in other capacities and maybe they'll recognize. Yeah, well, so I think the lesson there is is not to do what we did necessarily. But yeah. like the the goal, I think, has to be like just getting – if you want to write – like write the thing that other people want you to write Mm. and like at least to start like shopping your thing without any kind of reputation is really tricky yeah um and i think playwriting play theater as opposed to you know honestly i don't really know how television or movies work me neither um i mean i know you have to get an agent i don't know how that works um but it's possible that you have a great script and you sell it to a studio because mm-hmm. that's it's a for-profit industry. That's like how that works. Mm-hmm. Um, but at least in get getting theater made, new works like um, if someone is not 
interested <laughs> in your brand in your thing, mm-hmm. it's going to be really hard to like get them interested in it. Right. Um. So like looking out for opportunities to create something with people. Yeah. Um. Like whether that be just doing stuff with your friends. I mean, like so. I guess that's the first professional writing I did was with Bay Area Children's Theater. Mm-hmm. But like, I wrote stuff for my friends at film school. Like I would write scripts for them in college. Um, I wrote like some sketches and stuff just like anytime I, anytime there was an opportunity to like, like put together something like just with my friends, just writing things for that. Yeah. And I, I'll also say that, um, yes, it's true that a theater company that you have in mind might not be interested, but there might be a theater company that you didn't think about that is interested in the kind of work you do. So it is also being open to finding that fit and being open to maybe that fit isn't what you imagine. Maybe it's not a 400 plus seater proscenium theater that wants to do the show, but a 90 seater black box theater. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's a hard call too, because you want to, you want to stick to your, beliefs and your standards about what you want where you want your work to go but at the same time you might want to consider okay maybe it starts here and then i can develop it further to get to the goal that i have for it or you might realize actually i'm fine with the 90 seater i actually love it and i don't need to go further than that yeah um i mean so it's I think, a lot of being open yeah i think it's also very much i mean any any kind of writing that's meant for public consumption whether it's essays or playwriting or books or whatever mm-hmm. like you have to be thinking about who's uh engaging with it yeah um and so like if you're writing something that is not the ki- like if you're writing something for a theater and this is not the kind of thing that they put on like you're never go- they're never going to want to produce that right exactly um, cuz it's not their thing uh, and so on the flip side, like if there's a theater that you know that you really want to like get produced by and you really want to be involved with them, like writing something that is like the kind of stuff that they put on yeah, is, is certainly a better way to sort of get yes. their consideration. Yep. Um, I agree with that. Um, and my writing of Tales of Olympus, which was my first Bay Area Children's Theater show, was kind of happening at the same time of my writing my first non-TYA full-length musical, which is The Song of the Nightingale. Um, and for that one, it really took off be- like uh, after... Not took off. <laughs> it's huge now. It, it's huge now. No, it actually didn't take off. What I meant was um, I ma- made steps forward because I pretty much self-produced it. Uh, and that's not easy. Mm-hmm. It's very time-consuming. And, it, you know, to be courteous, I did pay my actors and I... You know, you had to set aside a certain budget for it. And I actually did fundraising. And I think back now and all the things that I did, I fundraised, I produced, I found venues, I found rehearsal space just to get the first staged reading up. Yeah. Now I'm like, I can't do all that. That's so tiring. But I was so motivated to to get it done, let alone it, it, it was a full cast of Asian actors. So I was reaching far and wide across the Bay Area to find these Asian actors who could uh, sing and act. Uh, and yeah, I, I would say if you're in a place where you're passionate, like self-producing 
is is great because you do have more control. Um, I don't know that you have the money, mm-hmm. <laughs> but you can raise funds to try to do that by just asking for donations or, you know, there are many different outlets or, or ways you can ask for funds nowadays, I feel like. Yeah. But, I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, setting, setting achievable goals and like get, like get, getting the work made. I yeah. feel like. It, your goal has to be getting it made, whatever that means. And the satisfaction has to be getting it made. Yeah. Um, like, if the goal is to make a lot of money doing this, that is a that is a very difficult goal. Right. <laughs> I think there are very few people who start off in theater just, I want to make money. Yeah. Yeah, that seems ill. Ill advised. Ill advised. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so for our show... Um, yeah, I guess I can share like some of the opportunities that I've either had or that I've applied for and didn't get, um, just to kind of put it all out there. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, there are theater companies or uh, organizations that are interested in the development process. So they have something like TheaterWorks has a New Works Festival, and there are theater, com- theater companies across the country that have different New Works Festivals that you apply to and um, get involved with. I actually think TheaterWorks, you don't apply for that. I think it is they get to know who's out there and Mm, and bring people in. So I can share that story another time of how I got all involved in that. But yeah, I've applied to many festivals and gotten rejected. Um, It's part of the deal. But that's interesting because, uh, you know, you have to have something... To mm-hmm. show, yeah, to show for it, and right now Proxima, there's nothing. <laughs> yeah, which is why I haven't really been doing any research specifically. Yeah, for this. and it is um, early. Like I don't know that we need to at this point, um, but it 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 might be helpful to kind of think about where we want it to go. Yeah. Next, um, but like so the so the theater companies that do have those programs, that's one thing, and then um, there's. A theater company right now that my other writing partner, I'm cheating on you, uh, <gasps> Brad Erickson and I. New York City? <laughs> not New York, actually. Charleston, South Carolina. Mm. Um, Brad and I are working on a piece based on his, I think I mentioned it last season, uh, based on his family. Uh, and it takes place in Charleston. And so we have both spent time there separately as well as together. And now, and we just kind of started conversations with a local theater company there of like, hey, we're writing this show. And he uh, he happened to know the artistic director. I also met up with her when I was there. And now she's interested. And we're going there to workshop the piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that is like we took a chance on it. Yeah. There was no guarantee that she, first she would say yes, but also that they would be interested or that they would have the capacity to do new work like this. Um, but yeah, she's excited. We're going to go in April and we're going to develop it and that, so it's, it's being open, but also like taking a chance Yeah, yeah, and being, yeah. And being open to hearing no, if that chance doesn't happen. But mm-hmm. anyway. Yeah. Well, so I, I mean, just talk like sort of order of operations in terms of, um, opportunities and things like that. Like mm-hmm. I figure, and I'll just list it off and you can correct me where I'm wrong. Um, I figure we'll get some semblance of a show together, whether it be like a complete act or um, a 
a mostly com- like a semi-complete show or whatever it is, but something to show or put up in some kind of workshop setting. Mm-hmm. And then probably look into workshopping it somewhere, um, yeah. either by like applying for like a cash grant or something like that and mm-hmm. workshopping it ourselves with actors and people in a room somewhere. Yeah. Or like finding a theater that or a program that wants to that has a workshop program for new yeah. works. Yeah. Uh, and then we'll probably do a bunch of rewrites and further development. And at that point, shopping it around to see if anybody yeah. wants to be I mean, involved in that be, development process. It could be festivals at yeah. that point too, where we're more open for it to be a public thing. I mean, not that we wouldn't be for the first workshop, but um, by the way, a cash grant oh, yeah. is a local Bay Area grant uh, that you apply for through Theater Bay Area, and they do it every uh, twice. They do it twice a year for spring and for fall, um, and you apply. And they have one for I think now they split into categories of like cash. Like one is cash grant creates, and one is cash grant performs. And hmm. there's less money for the create, but it's supposed to help with the development, mm-hmm. whereas the perform is to help towards a presentation or production of some kind um i am a three-time recipient (laughs) of cash grant um i you know i checked with with tba before i applied this third time and was like hey are there limits and they said no i mean you're putting it to good use yeah so you um, are creating with that cash grant yeah and most uh major metropolitan areas have some kind of arts grants like this. So if you're in Seattle, if you're in Miami, I'm sure if you look, yeah. uh, if you just do a Google search, you'll be able to find something that's an arts oriented grant. Yeah. And to give you, if you're not in the Bay area, like to give you context for this, uh, it's not a huge amount of money, but it no. is, a, it is money that you can like pay your actors and exactly. rent space and like, yeah, stuff that we're talking about. Make it make it really feel professional, rather than I'll just have food available for people involved. Yeah, you know. Um, and if you live abroad, uh, I'd be really curious what the state of New oh, York's yeah. programs and things like that are like in Europe or in Canada or oh, yeah, yeah, elsewhere yeah. in the world. Um, yeah, because here in America we have a stereotype that there's more arts funding out there in the world, but I don't know if that actually <laughs> I don't know what that actually looks like. I do feel like that's true but i don't oh i think it must sure. be true but like i it's always like if you right. work in the arts in america it's like oh well, it's not like in europe like, right right europe, right like, uh, there might be more specifically government oriented funding yeah towards the arts um we don't need to talk about that <laughs> with our country uh yeah, don't I, bum everybody out right <laughs> with our current state of affairs anyway um one thing i thought of while we were just kind of discussing that is there are the opportunities that are available for people like us right now that don't have much are like residencies. Mm-hmm. So it's to apply. And this is a tough one because sometimes they might ask you to pay for travel. Um, and it's like, do I, <laughs> but it's like to pay for travel to go to this secluded place to write when I could have just stayed at home. So that's something you have to weigh mm-hmm. as an artist. Cause if you don't have the funds to like pay for some of it, then, Maybe it's better. But if you're having a hard time carving out that time to actually work on it, or for example, us as collaborators, we're finding a hard time to get together in a room. Um, if it's, we were to it's get... Coming. It's coming. It's soon. coming. It's yeah. coming. Yes. Just I got to get press here open yeah. and Llama Llama started and then it's and then it's all proxima all the time. I agree 100%. <laughs> 
<laughs> season three, like we said, is gonna be amazing. Um, but yeah, there are there are residencies out there that are like two week, four week. There are some that are eight week. I would not want to do that. But some people, some artists, live residency to residency, where they just go to London and then they go to France and they go to Wyoming because those are they're just out there. Um, but yeah, I, I'm going to be in Nebraska. In March. I've never been, but I applied with a specific project and um yeah. Do some do some Praxma location scouting. I thought about that yeah. actually. And I was like, you know, I wonder if I'll just go there and be like, we're gonna set this in Nebraska City. Because that's yeah. where I'll be. But <laughs> but I'll know you know, I'll I'll be closer to Kansas City, which is one of the cities we we yeah. thought of. I'll be like three hours north of it. Um it's gonna be really cold. But, yeah, I'm excited because it's a chance to get away to just focus on a specific project. Um, so the, that, that could be something we actually do start to look at right now as options for, um, you know, just opportunities uh, to get together. But also it does help raise the profile mm-hmm. just to say this was developed through X residency. Yeah. 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 I mean, the more connections you can make for people and... And yeah, yeah, just so that it seems like a real thing. Yeah, so I'll keep you up to date on any applications that come through. We should check schedules and when. Yeah, <laughs> when it might be a good idea for us to actually look for that. Yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of schedules, I think we've come to the end of another of another episode. Yeah. Uh, cool. Well. So, uh, we'll see you next time. See ya. Bye. Amwam is produced by Austin Zumbro and Min Kong. Theme song composed by Austin Zumbro, performed by Austin Zumbro and Min Kong. Logo designed by Melissa Nigro. If you like our podcast, leave us a review and subscribe. <laughs>